and welcome back to the Product Experience. I'm Lily Smith. And I'm Randy Silver. This week, we have a guest who's the living embodiment of one of the core tenets of product management. His name is It Depends. Um, what are you on about, Randy? I thought we had Guido Lanetti. Exactly. But we always want to make sure that we pronounce our guest's name correctly. And I've always known that name and him as Guido. So we asked him the right way to say his name, and he said, It Depends. It's pronounced one way in some countries and the other elsewhere. Oh, yes. Very diplomatic of him. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk to Guido or Guido or anyway, whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's been active in the Buenos Aires product scene for more than 10 years, most recently as the head of product for Turner Broadcasting there. And he's also an organizer for Product Tank Buenos Aires. And he's really passionate about the scene in Latin America. So we employed him to be our ambassador to the region. We wanted to learn more about the maturity and spread of the practice there, where the hotspots are, and what makes working across the region so unique. Yes, and we really did get all of that and a whole bunch more. So without further ado, vamanos. So today on the product experience, we've got Guido Lanetti coming all the way from Buenos Aires. Guido, you're currently working as a consultant, I believe, but you've been in product management and running Product Tank in Buenos Aires for many years. Hey, Lily. Hey, Randy. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I've been working in Buenos Aires in product management, and I've been doing that for the last 13 years. So that's a long time. (laughs) And we were going to talk to you today about what product management is like in South America, Latin America region. And actually, my first question is, what does Latin America cover geographically? All right. That's a good question. So... Uh, I had a conversation with a colleague uh, a couple of months ago, and he was confused about Latin America versus South America. So in terms of countries, Latin America covers from Mexico to the southernmost point in the continent, while South America Mm -hmm. is the same as Latin America, but it doesn't include Central America and Mexico. So I would say it's accurate to say that South America is a geographical entity, while Latin America is a cultural entity as well. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, when I grew up in the States, we always broke it down to North, Central, and South. But uh, in my professional life, I've heard a lot of people refer to anything South of Texas as Latin America, which seems to hide a lot of sins and um, just makes a lot of assumptions about how, how everything goes. But tell us a little bit more about how you got into product management and your background. The story of how I got into product management, it's certainly not as funny as the one uh, that Chef Godolf told on your podcast. <laughs> uh, I had so much fun listening to it. So uh, when I was around 14 years old, my parents bought our first computer. That's crazy, taking into account how early kids now get access to computers, right? So uh, I built an MP3 search engine website, which had a pretty decent amount of traffic. And I remember I started monetizing through affiliate marketing programs. And there was a moment when my mother realized that I was receiving payment checks. And she kind of freaked (laughs) out and asked me to close down the website. I was so frustrated. So later on, when I had to choose what to study, I knew that I wanted to continue my way into building software, but not by actually coding the software. 
And that was uh, like a crossroads moment in my life. I wanted to work on technology, but I didn't want to code. And I felt like I wanted to be on the strategy side. But at that time, I didn't know the different roles that work at a tech company. And that's why I got into business management. I studied uh, business management in, in the Universidad de Buenos Aires. It's called, the career, it's called Administración de Empresas. And eventually, I landed on my first job on a digital newspaper, uh, one of the most well-known newspapers here in Argentina called La Nación. And that was when I was 20 years old while I was studying. And the funny thing was that my boss came from a Berlin startup, so he was used to tech roles. And he told me, you're going to be an associate product manager. And that's how it all began. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, before you go into to all that, you said your mom made you turn off your, your MP3 search engine because you were getting paid. What Did she think you were selling drugs? What, what was going on? <laughs> I think she, she believed I was going to be like one of those guys uh, on the court versus Napster. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, like everybody was freaked out with, with the news of how the music industry was being disrupted by MP3. And she, I probably be believe she, she didn't want me to, to be one of those guys in jail. So, yeah, I was kind of frustrated because I was super happy being the, the popular guy uh, at school, even if, even if I was like a little bit geek. Uh, I, I remember like a lot of friends asked me about my website, so it was really cool. Do you ever wonder what could have happened to that, that website if your mom hadn't stopped you? <laughs> no, I never, never thought about that, but probably <laughs> I would have to pivot it several times and, uh, I hope I could be any close to, to Spotify. <laughs> so on your journey then through product management you've obviously worked in a number of firms now in Argentina what's the kind of um, best companies to work for in the South America Latin America region who do you see taking on the the kind of tech giants in your area that's a good question I think that there are different kinds of companies not only from a size standpoint but also how product-focused these companies are and also in, in which stage of the company they are in, right? So mm -hmm. Despegar.com and Mercado Libre are the biggest tech companies in LATAM, and they have been around for 20 years already. Uh, so it, it's been a while since they've been around, and I would dare to say that 50% of the product managers in LATAM once worked for, for one of those. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We sometimes make fun with friends because we say like everybody comes from Despegar or Mercado Libre. Despegar is the largest travel online travel agency and Mercado Libre is the biggest marketplace. It's like our version of eBay and it all also shifted into an online payments company. So uh, I believe both are very good schools that provide a very clear career path to PMs in general. So you can learn from the most seasoned and experienced PMs on how to build features, how to measure success, 
and how to work cross-functionally with designers, researchers, and developers, and, well, the never-ending list of tasks that we usually do as product managers. Um, at the same time, there are relatively new players like Nubank and Rappi. Have you ever heard about Nubank and Rappi? No, not at all. Okay, so these companies uh, had a hyper growth since they started. So Nubank is uh, a very popular Brazilian fintech that recently raised uh, $400 million on its Series F and their valuation is uh, over $10 billion. So it's a giant. They are expanding to Mexico and, and Argentina as well. And Rappi is a Colombian startup that started on the food delivery business and is now moving into the fintech field as well. Their vision is like being the all-in-one app for Latam, like uh, WeChat in, in China. They also raised a lot of money. I believe it was $1 billion in, in a single investment from this giant Japanese uh, soft bank. Product managers in, in these companies, uh, Rappi and Nubank, have a very strong growth uh, and experimental mindset. I believe that, I think that the, the best way to describe this is like Reid Hoffman says, these guys are blitz scaling, so they kind of prioritize speed over efficiency. Uh, so I personally believe that it, it's a really interesting time and space to be working as a PM on this company, on Nubank and, and Rappi. And I think that there are also smaller, smaller, I go again with that one. <laughs> Uh, I think there are also smaller startups like Mural and Tienda Nube that are growing at a really good pace. And I personally believe that they are doing the product right. Mural is a design thinking collaboration tool and Tienda Nube is an e-commerce platform. Very similar to Shopify, but it's focused on Latam's markets and Latam's struggles. Uh, I know their CPOs and I know they are exceptional pro professionals and the PMs that work at this company seem to be very good and they have like very complete set of skills. And are those companies competing against Shopify and eBay and the global tech sort of giants that, that we're sort of more familiar with? Or do they have a kind of hands down advantage just being based, you know, in the country that they're operating in? So, I believe that the playbook in LATAM has always been copying the, the business models that thrived in the US and Europe mm -hmm. because Latin America as a market wasn't that interesting until now. So I, I think that we are living a transition period. I, I believe that the startups that, that were successful until now Maybe the, the playbook was copying an existing business model, growing, and afterwards selling their companies to the, the, the giants from the US and Europe. And right now, I believe that there is uh, like a new era of the startups. I, I, I see a lot of, of capital coming from outside. Just as an example, SoftBank just launched a, a 5 billion tech fund in Latin America this year. So investments are growing a lot. And I mean, companies are 
I'm getting a lot of support and a lot of fuel to, to grow. So, uh, yeah. So following up from that, Guido, how big is product management in Latin America? And where are the hotspots? We've talked a little bit about the companies, but if you are interested in moving to the region, where would you recommend? Oof. All right. That's a good question. So I started working as a PM 13 years ago in Buenos Aires, as I told you. And at that time, there were no PMs in the market. It was like a whole new beginning. 13 years later, I still think the career is on its genesis, not only in terms of the number of product management professionals, but especially for the scope of the role of the product manager at tech companies. Mm. To make my point, I, I referenced an article that was recently published by Marty Kagan that generated a lot of debate where he spoke of three different product managers at tech companies. So on one side, you've got the PM working in empowered product teams. Then you've got the PM working in delivery teams. And the last one was the PM working in feature teams. So let's start with the first one. The PM working in cross-functional empowered product teams, along with engineers, designers, and researchers, are mm -hmm. empowered to collaborate to figure out the best way to solve the problems that they have been asked to solve. So they are usually guided by this famous North Star metric, which provides them with a lot of autonomy as long as they chase that metric. Uh, which, I mean, this sounds fantastic to me, but this is rarely the case for a PM in LATAM. So product managers working in tech companies in Latin America, in most of the cases are just like, backlog administrators for delivery or feature teams, as Marky Kagan's uh, names this. I mean, someone doing the administrative work and just delivering the features that a stakeholder requested. I think that this is not just uh, something that happens in Latin America, but this usually happens because in most of the cases, when a startup makes its first steps, it's the CEO that manages the product, right? So mm. it takes such an effort to build the product, get early traction, uh, find product market fit, that eventually when a startup raises the money required to, to fuel the growth and they are able to hire their first PM, what's difficult for, for founders is to truly transfer the ownership of the product. That being said, I believe that there's still a long way to go from the from the role standpoint here in Latam, absolutely. So what's in what I find really interesting about this is the learning in product management. So I find a lot of product managers are really thirsty for knowledge and information about how to be good at product management. But where businesses seem to be struggling to do good product management is with the leaders within their business being able to empower their teams, as you say. And yeah, I think so it's kind of like this struggle between product managers desperate to do their job well and CEOs and founders and, and leadership teams not really understanding product well. Um, and I think that is a, a problem kind of globally. So yeah, I was just gonna gonna reinforce that that's a, not not just a problem in, in South America. <laughs> you make me feel much better, Lily. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so where are the the kind of hotspots? I mean, Bristol in the UK is like you know known as one of the sort of tech. tech <laughs> Keep trying to make it work, Lily. Keep trying to make it work. <laughs> it's true. It is. <laughs> um, I would try so to do, do Bristol have, on the map. <laughs> do you have those kind of tech hotspots? Uh, presumably, you do in um, South America as well. Yes. Yes. Of course. So. Naturally, hotspots are, are born around where tech companies are located, right? Um, so just as a proxy, there are 19 tech unicorns in LATAM. Those are tech companies that are worth more than $1 billion. So mm -hmm. Brazil has 11 unicorns. Argentina has five of them. Mexico has two unicorns and Colombia has one. And I'm sure that there are more to come soon as this uh, Japanese giant SoftBank just launched a 5 billion tech fund in Latin America early this year. So that said, uh, I believe Sao Paulo, um, Mexico City are really vibrant tech cities to be working right now as a product manager, followed by Buenos Aires, um, Bogota maybe. At the same time, I would also say that Santiago de Chile scene is, is interesting as well, mostly based on the fact that they have this accelerator called uh, Startup Chile, which uh, has quite a success in the continent. So while some people call Santiago de Chile the Chilicon Valley, <laughs> uh, I would say Chile as a country, is not even on the roadmap when it comes to relevance and influence in the LATAM tech market. Uh, Brazil and Mexico are the giants here, and everybody wants those markets. So regarding meetups, Product Tank is present in over 20 cities in LATAM, and it's helping to spread the word along the local communities. The always interesting fact about product management meetups is that it brings together people from different disciplines, like designers, researchers, developers, and entrepreneurs. But the UX community is the biggest. I mean, it's enormous. So whenever we organize a product camp here in Buenos Aires and there's a UX rock star, you'll easily figure out because it's going to be super crowded. Mm. Interesting. I wonder why that is. And it's funny that you say that Chile has the Chilicon Valley, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> we, have, um, yeah. we have a gorge in Bristol, so it's Silicon Gorge instead of Silicon Valley. <laughs> I oh, think really? everyone has, has one local. <laughs> Everybody wants to have their, their own valley. Yeah. <laughs> and Guido, when we've talked in the past, we've talked about uh, working for both the local firms and the big multinationals. But most of the firms you've talked about so far today have been the locals. What is it like? Are the multinationals really present with product teams in the region? And what's the difference between working for the locals and, and the big multinationals? So I experienced both. And I believe that they both have pros and cons, like everything in life. <laughs> but um, so multinationals usually have more resources than local firms. And therefore, there's more budget for tools, team building, personal development, you name it. Also, structures, shop descriptions, and career paths are usually clearer in multinationals. Mm -hmm. 
Still, I believe startups are faster at executing than multinationals. I think we, we all agree with that. I believe that compliance and legal departments in multinationals <laughs> require things getting done very prudently, right? And at the same time, these large companies usually have very opinionated stakeholders from which every initiative requires uh, approval or green light. So local startups move faster because it's the nature. They need to either find product market fit or grow as fast as possible before one of the established giants enters our market. Mm. Last thing, but I think this is the most important factor for me. When it, when it comes to autonomy, it's much more likely than not that you'll find it in a local startup. PMs in local startups are more empowered. Their decisions are respected. They can really experiment and therefore the impact uh, is more perceivable. So that's why I, I believe personally that I would always work on startups. Yeah, I love, I love working for startups. <laughs> and when doing new product development, um, so North America is largely homogenous in its sort of language and culture. Uh, Europe is massive challenges in terms of language and localization because there's just so many different ones. And then India and Asia, you know, have their own challenges, but you have two main languages and one dominant market. So what's generally been the approach to tackle that in, in South America? That's another really good question. So 650 million people call Latin America their home, which is almost Europe's population. Yeah. Um, at the same time, the mobile penetration is very large. Uh, last time I saw the, the numbers, it was around 70% of the population. So as a reference, uh, US and Europe, mobile penetration is around 85. So it's not lagging that far behind from, from Europe mm -hmm. and the US. That being said, Brazil has one third of Latin's population. So if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. I, I think that's what uh, Frank Sinatra or any venture capitalist would say. <laughs> uh, um, so that's why, that's the reason why in a lot of companies, there's kind of a mantra. Uh, everybody says Brazil first. You know, I always heard like mobile first, but here in Latin, we said <laughs> Brazil first every time. Every initiative that we have, we have to first think about Brazil. However, thriving in the Brazilian market, it's extremely difficult. As a PM, you really need to understand their culture, their struggles, and what they value. And if not, you won't nail it in Brazil. That, that's it. But this is not only a Brazil thing. Uh, there's a general belief that you can copy and paste a product from one country to the whole region here in Latam, and you'll be successful, which I personally believe it's absolutely wrong. When it comes to, to business and regional expansion, I usually like to refer to two different kinds of approaches, which are the Catholic approach and the Buddhist approach. So what happens on the Vatican, it's replicated everywhere. So Catholicism is the same everywhere. In contrast, Buddhism has different interpretations in different cultures. You got 
Indian Buddhism, Nepal's Buddhism, China's Buddhism. Likewise, I believe that we can translate these approaches to product management. I love that uh, that take of Catholic versus Buddhist. It's definitely something that uh, someone from Latin America should be coming up with. But for people who are coming from other places, it sounds like a real challenge. What would shock somebody? Um, you know, product is product is product, but dealing with things in local markets is a challenge no matter where you are. What's special? What should I know before trying to work in the region? So OPMs that come from abroad find striking the fact that we are very used to pay in installments for products or services. You know installments? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, instead of paying the whole amount upfront, we prefer paying in smaller parts monthly, and we call this installment quotas. So if the product you sell doesn't support quotas, you're not going to get any traction. So I think that's the number one thing that everybody finds striking about <laughs> our culture. Again, the whole ecosystem is not very evolved. So I believe that a PM coming from another culture will be shocked not only by quotas, by, but by several things. Um, payment platforms are very fragmented. There's not a one-fits-all solution for these. There's still a large unbanked population. And that's why startups like Nubank are having really good traction. Logistic services are far away from being like the ones in US or Europe. But apart from the undeveloped environment, I believe that, that the big challenge is understanding our idiosyncrasy. Mm -hmm. So a funny story happened when Netflix came to LATAM. Argentinian, Argentinian users weren't watching as much TV series as the rest of the continent. What happened was that TV series were dubbed to Spanish with no subtitles. And in Argentina, in contrast to the rest of LATAM, we like uh, watching movies and TV series in their original languages with subtitles. And that was the reason nobody was watching TV series here. Mm, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. So they had to go back, um, get subtitles for, for all, the, or all of their TV series. And only once they had these subtitles or closed captions, uh, Argentinians started watching this content. But there are a lot of cases like that one uh, when the Catholic approach doesn't work and you really got to understand uh, each country's culture. So I worked as a PM for a restaurant reservations platform mm -hmm. and Brazil was always one of the most difficult markets in terms of usage and retention. So we decided that we had to hire our first UX researcher based in Brazil to help us understand better the user needs of, of the Brazilian user. So after several interviews, we discovered that Brazilian users didn't perceive as much value as we thought on restaurant reservations for skipping the queue, which was our value proposition. Brazilian users didn't seem to care that much about waiting, but instead they perceived value in receiving a special treatment like a free glass of champagne, for example. So our learning there was that quantitative data shows what's happening, but only when you start collecting 
qualitative data interviewing your users, the classic get out of the building, is when you really start understanding the why, the, the reasons that uh, are behind a certain behavior. I love that you had to hire a researcher to find out that people like champagne. <laughs> no, I understand yeah, the, the, the specifics of what is the value proposition and the perceived value. Absolutely. But liking champagne, that seems pretty universal. <laughs> we, we don't need any, any researchers, right? Yeah. So when you were deciding that you needed more insight into the beliefs and the behaviors and the things that people worried about in Brazil and decided to hire this um, UX researcher, did you try and do some of this research remotely first or did you go straight for someone who was actually on the ground in the country that you wanted to understand more about? I'm glad that you actually asked that because we first tried uh, remote platforms to to try to conduct the interviews by by ourselves from Buenos Aires, and we didn't get any insight from from those conversations with our users. And only when we hired our local based Brazilian researcher, it was a moment where users really f- feel comfortable about speaking with someone from their same culture and being really open and, and really honest about uh, their emotions and their feelings. Yeah. And I believe that there's a cultural distance that we naturally have by speaking with people from other countries. So if you ask me which is the first resource from a tech team that I would try to get in place and to be a local person, that would be a UX researcher for sure. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it's good to hear. Um, so uh, we had a couple of episodes back, a guy, Philip Pantalades, who works with me at Product Tank in Bristol. Um, and he has to frequently go over to Indonesia to work with the teams over there because he's launching a product over in Indonesia. And he said that it's just invaluable every time he goes and spends time in the actual country. Yeah, absolutely, Lily. Based on my experience, the startups that have uh, a Buddhist approach towards building products are the ones that find success. So that's why having local research resources and conducting ethnographic research is really important. So I would go with my last example. Mm-hmm. So uh, another company I worked in uh, had a very low conversion rate when selling high-ticket transactions in Peru comparing to the rest of LATAM. Only when researchers uh, travel there to Peru and actually talk with users in, in situ in, in their places, in their houses, they realized that while credit card penetration in Peru was similar to the rest of the countries, the credit limits in Peru were way lower than the rest of the countries. So that insight helped, uh, helped us find a solution, which was providing the ability to split payments into two or more credit cards for high-ticket transactions. That just sounds so complicated. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it is product management. <laughs> 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 okay, so as a as a product manager, what's your personal superpower? Personally, 
I think I have this uh, as a PM. I think I, I suffer from imposter syndrome, so it's difficult difficult for me to tell which is my superpower. But I believe that my social skills always help me to be a better PM. So the more I talk with different people from different departments, the more I empathize with their daily struggles. Yeah. Um, it helped me to start looking at the product from new angles and perspectives as well. And eventually you start kind of building a short vision with your stakeholders. So in order to deliver a successful product, I believe that knowing your business users is almost as important as knowing your, your final users. And that was something I learned really recently in my career. So if there's somebody else on your team who hasn't learned that lesson yet, who hasn't developed that particular superpower, how do you try and share it with them? How do you get them trained up and to the same level of understanding? So I don't, I don't know if for that certain skill or for any skill that someone in my team has to develop. First of all, when it comes to relationships with my team, what's non-negotiable is having direct, uh, constructive, frequent, and bi-directional feedback. Mm -hmm. So Radical Candor book by Kim Scott was a personal game changer on this field. I love that book. Yeah, it's amazing, amazing. Um, before giving feedback on a weakness or opportunity to someone on my team, I spent a, a lot of time uh, writing it down. I found that the more specific I am on what I'm saying, it's more likely that the other person will not only understand what I'm referring to, but also they will end up being thankful for me to point that out. And that was crazy for me. So for each opportunity or weakness statement that I write down, I make sure that I have at least one or two concrete examples where I spot that weakness. And also I explain how I would personally address that opportunity in the short term. And here that the keyword is personal. I really try to understand what would I personally do to address that weakness, either if it is by reading a book, doing a course or whatever it is. Something I learned over time as well is not waiting for the one-to-one -one meeting to provide this feedback. Feedback on the spot is always better. Um, and also, I, I ask for feedback a lot. It's the only way to improve, I believe. Um, people re really appreciate that the fact that you are asking them for, for the feedback. It, it's like a win-win game. Who do you ask? I usually ask, of course, my boss, my colleagues. But there was one time I said, okay, this week I'll try to fetch or gather feedback from all the developers in my team. And I thought that the developers weren't paying attention to what I do or what I did. This was long ago. And it was eye-opening when I met with the developers one by one and they had a lot of stuff to say, good stuff, uh, stuff uh, that were opportunities for, for, for me, but they also were really thankful and really happy to be having that kind of conversations. Um, we tend to believe that developers just want to uh, 
put their headphones and listen to music and start coding. And <laughs> I believe that the more you involve them in these kind of conversations um, to improve the, the way we work as a team, they, they are super happy to be participating in these kinds of activities. It's, it's just uh, getting feedback is so important. And yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor. And, but it sounds like you've taken it to your own kind of level of diligence around feedback, which I think is amazing. So, um, and Guido, it's been so amazing talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Adios, Guido. Randy, is that all Spanish you know? <laughs> of course not. I studied the language for years growing up in New York. I can order a beer. I can tell you not to lean on the subway doors. I can order in restaurants and, well, you know, not that much else, actually. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing. My family's failed language classes for three generations. But now you know a lot more about how the culture works. So let's stick with that. <laughs> and if you've listened this far, you know what to do. Please like and subscribe and leave us a review. That would be really awesome. And make sure your friends know about us too. Also, there's a big conference coming up in London, the Mind the Product London in October. So I'll see you there. And that's right. It's on the 18th of October. And I can't wait to hear some of the speakers. You've got uh, Heinrich Kneiberg, from, who helped found the Spotify Squads and Tribes model. Lindsay Jane is the VP of product at Monzo. Uh, Andy Ayim, Kate O'Neill, Kate Lido, C. Todd Lombardo, and a whole bunch more. It's a fantastic lineup, and I can't wait. The product experience is part of the Mind the Product Network. Our hosts are me, that's Lily Smith, and Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Emily is ours alone, but we're happy to share Luke if you need someone to edit your own podcast. Hey, you can't share him too much. He's my husband. <laughs> <laughs> our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg and plays bass in the band for letting us use the music. And sign up for your local product tank, a regular meetup in over 185 cities worldwide. There's probably one someone near you. And if there's not, you can start one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com slash product tank. Here's Global Coordinator Mark Abraham to tell you more about it. Product Tank is a global community of meetups in over 155 cities across the world, driven by and for product managers. Whether you have a group discussion or you're listening to speakers, the whole idea is to create a safe environment for product people to come together and to share their learnings and tips.